Hello and welcome to the Empowered Lifestyle Podcast, a movement and community designed to help you live your best life and reconnect you back to the things that really matter. Today, we are joined by an incredible friend and mentor of ours and of many, Anna Rubinstein. Anna is the founder and CEO of the Rites of Passage Institute, and he's also the author of the book, The Making of Men. And in our interview, we dive into some of the big challenges uh, that youth and families and, and grown-ups and adults are facing right now in the world we live in, and also, what we can do to get away from the busyness of life and start scheduling things that actually light us up instead of getting caught up in the being busy but being empty, which I'm sure a lot of you can relate to. So not only is Anna a good friend of ours, he happened to be featured in our health documentary, Overfed and Undernourished. Uh, so really excited to share this special interview with you. Let's jump in. And I'm super excited to have an incredible friend and mentor here with me today, Anna Rubenstein. Anna has been in our life for around six or seven years. Uh, he's actually one of the uh, health experts featured in our health documentary, Overfed and Undernourished. And he is a wealth of knowledge, but particularly around rites of passage, which for me, not that long ago, I didn't know much about. And now it's become something I'm incredibly passionate about as a parent, going through my own journey of life. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Pleasure. Very happy to be here and very happy to be a part of your family. Thank you. So I would love you, I guess, to give a bit of a backstory of what life has looked like for you up until now. You're a dad, you've been a medical doctor. So can we kind of go back to the start so that we can get a bit of context to why you're doing what you're doing now? Sure. Well, it depends how far back we want to go, but I think I had a tricky teenage time. In fact, I'm sure I did. Uh, I don't think it was easy. I didn't really like school. I was pretty lonely, pretty awkward. I got by though, you know, I sort of, I always said I had two lives from about the age of 14, one that my parents knew about and one they didn't know about. Um, and then when I was 18, I went overseas for a year on a leadership training program to uh, Israel and I was with 180 kids my own age from all over the world and that was when I really saw, wow, there's a whole world out here and there are all sorts of people and adventures and things that you can do. That was very influential on my life. And then I became a doctor and I worked for a couple of years in family medicine but then my sort of main career was in emergency medicine uh, and one of the things I saw and I often talk about was the over-representation of teenagers in that um, in the emergency medical departments. Um, I got married quite young and, and a big thing that actually had an influence on me was that when my boys were one and three years of age, my wife who was from Canada and I separated and she went back to Canada and I had two boys on my own, both in nappies and uh, I was 27 years old and life was really not turning out how I'd expected. And for me, that was, I think, a huge rite of passage. That was a time when I had to really put someone else's needs in front of my own. And the first time that I couldn't just go to the gym or go for a surf or stay out late or, you know, I had to look after my two boys. And that sort of changed everything. And then I got involved in a bit of men's work when I was about 28, 29, and was astonished to discover that basically most, if not all, men were, were dealing with the same issues. Um, and we said, wow, imagine if there'd been something for us when we were teenagers, you know, and that was when I first heard the words uh, rites of passage, and we ran a, uh, a father and son camp or a men and boys camp. We took 28 uh, boys with either their dads or mentors 
uh, out into the bush for three days and uh, something extraordinary happened and it was kind of never the same since. And I started investigating rites of passage and running uh, camps up in uh, northern New South Wales once a year and, and progressively that took over my life and I became more dissatisfied with medicine and the system that I was working in and more amazed by how if we create healthy transitions and build strong communities, we can really change pretty much everything. And so Rites of Passage took over my life and I'm now CEO of the Rites of Passage Institute and we've set up programs all around Australia and in about 40 different schools and in 15 countries around the world and had 150,000 people through our programs and it's just, uh, just the beginning. Incredible. And I think <laughs> one of the things when I heard about Rites of Passage, you know, you talk about if we look back to some of our indigenous cultures that for, to go from a boy to a man or from a girl to a woman, there was a, a journey that they would go through. Um, and if we're listening on the line, most people are either our parents or they will be one day. And when you were, were talking about that, you know, you wrote the book, The Making of Men, um, and just seeing what it, I've, I've got two boys of my own, they're nine and 11 now, and looking at the journey that's ahead and, and even looking at right now in the world where we've got social media and all these other things that are pulling our young children and teens into different directions. How important is rites of passage for, you know, for, that, for our children right now in the world that we live in? I think it's more important than it's ever been. And, and it's been interesting because I've been talking about rites of passage for 25 years now since mm. we first started running them. And in the last three to five years, there's been an explosion of interest. And I think a big part of that is because of the influence of technology and artificial intelligence. Mm. And basically, as it comes more and more into our lives, and definitely more into the lives of our children, um, people are asking, well, what does it mean to be human? And, and if artificial intelligence is going to do so many things, what are people going to do? And who are, are we? And who is my son or my daughter? Are they the person who's gaming the whole time or who has their phone this far from their face 24 hours a day? And so people are looking for, you know, who we are and, and to find you know, their children again. And, and rites of passage at their core are really about finding what is inside each person. What are the natural gifts and talents, their genius, what's their spirit? Mm -hmm. So the indigenous communities believe that every person is born with a spirit and that our role as elders and parents and caregivers and teachers is to find the spirit in each of our children and bring it out. And that's when they're going to shine. When their spirit comes out, when they're doing what they love, when they're doing what they're passionate about, that's when they shine. And parents are seeing that a lot of their children, especially teenagers, are not shining. Mm. They're the opposite. They're lost in technology. And so they're looking for and, and needing something that actually speaks to, you know, who is, the, who is the beautiful person that we know is inside this, you know, boy or girl, and how do we bring it out? And that's exactly... What rites of passage do and so you've created programs for fathers and sons or mentors and and boys as well as women and sons and and i love that because it's about connecting a parent with their child and seeing them for who they are not projecting a parent's values onto them of who they should be absolutely yes that's a very important point that you know they are who they are they're not you know they're not us they come from us but they're not us and there's a difference and it is very much about just finding who they are, but also a rite of passage is about acknowledging, 
yes, it's about finding the spirit or the genius or the gifts in a person, but it's also about supporting them to move through the various stages of their lives in the right way. So, so when someone's a child, we want them to be a child. We want them to act like a child. We want them to think like a child. But when they become a young adult, their thinking hopefully will be different. And when we look at boys, and I wrote a model around this between boy behaviour and man behaviour, and boy behaviour is classically where it's all about me. I'm the centre of the universe. I want constant attention. <laughs> I take no responsibility for my actions. Um, and I want a mother. You know, a of you've got a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully you've got two and not three because that's how it's supposed to be when they're boys. Yeah. But healthy man behaviour is that I understand that I'm part of the universe and I'm part of a community and what I do, my actions affect others. And, you know, a, a healthy man, we have to be responsible for our actions and we can't always argue that we're right mm. even when we're wrong. And, and we have to be able to handle our emotions. You know, if, you, if your little boy loses his temper and doesn't get what he wants and has a tantrum, that's one thing. Mm. But as a man, if we have a tantrum, you know, that's actually domestic violence and it's not okay. And where a boy wants a mother, you know, a man hopefully is looking for genuine relationship. And I have a real concern that because we're not creating these rites of passage, you know, we're ending up with men who still think they're the centre of the universe, who still want constant attention, who still always have to be right, can't handle their emotions and are looking for a mother. You know, and, and I actually worry that, you know, some of our most senior elected political leaders, you know, are they boys or are they men? And, you know, if we live in a world that is run by boys, that's going to create big problems. And, and I also think, and I'll just say it, a lot of the issues we're seeing with Me Too and Time's Up and all of that, that's boy behaviour. Yeah. That, that is, you know, in men's bodies, boys who've never actually grown up and who think women are there for them mm. and, and for their pleasure and for, for them to own. And it's just, it's so wrong. And a big part of it is they've never grown up. So I think the implications of a rite of passage for a boy and a girl actually uh, will affect and impact them for the rest of their lives. So I think for women as well, it's just as much the same. We can't grow up and expect people to always be there for us. But when, when I was learning about rites of passage from you, what I found really interesting is that it isn't just about, you know, a young child to becoming an adult. We all, we go through these different stages of life. Um, you know, if we get married, as we become a parent, a new a new company that we might be starting. There's all these different Correct. levels of that journey. Can you speak into that a little bit? Because I think yeah. this is fascinating. Yeah, I'm sort of using this model of a staircase. Yeah. That there's a staircase of life and we're a baby, an infant, you know, a young adult, maybe a parent, a grandparent, an elder, eventually we pass on and lots of other steps. Mm -hmm. And all of these steps should actually be celebrated and acknowledged and all of them require a difference in the way we see the world and how we act in the world. And, and in the Indigenous communities, they actually created rites of passage to celebrate all of these different transitions. So there are some that we still have, like um, weddings, graduations, birthday parties, um, uh, retirement, and, and we can do it so much better. And, you know, we, we started talking about women. And, you know, I have a great concern that some of the biggest change events for women uh, the start of menstruation mm -hmm. uh, and menopause 
both of those events, which are so incredibly significant in a woman's life, in the main, we deal with so badly. In fact, they're associated with shame. Mm -hmm. What a tragedy. And, and instead of, um, in, our, you know, in our society, instead of respecting people getting older and elderhood, we do the, op the opposite. So there's shame. And so everybody actually wants to hang out on the lower part of the staircase and pretend they're younger than they are instead of gracefully moving up the staircase. And I talk about, you know, for a boy to become a young man or a girl to become a young woman, that's a big step up in the staircase. But the mother and the father also have to take a step up. Yeah. Because if the boy or the girl move up and the mother or father stay at the same place, then they're actually going to push the boy or the girl back down into being a child again. And we're actually all supposed to be moving up the staircase continually. So do you see, um, I guess, a trend in parents to almost be suppressing their, their children's growth in a way if, if they're not willing to grow up or evolve as a parent to their next level? Well, it's not going to do the, the child, you know, any good if mm. the parent sort of is staying at the same level. And, you know, we, we actually need a big shift in how we see things for all of this to work because if men are trying to hold on to their power... And the way they hold on to their power is by keeping their own children down. And, and if women are trying to hold on to their youth and are therefore competing with their daughters or, you know, other younger women, all of that doesn't go well. And we could just be doing it so much better. Um, and, and it doesn't go well for the children, but it also doesn't go well for the adult who, who is not accepting the stage that they're at. And... You know, so look, I'm 55 and I'm, I'm moving into that place of elderhood. I'm not there yet, but, you know, I, I feel it there. Now, I can fight it and pretend I'm 30, 40 and still go out and do things that I might have done when I was 30 or 40, but, yeah, you know, it gets kind of ugly. Mm. And the other option for me and what I'm really interested in is, you know, how could I be the best elder I could be and how different that is? And, and for me, elderhood is about really mentoring and supporting and bringing up the next generation and empowering them and, and, and you know, giving them, if possible, some wisdom rather than trying to do it all myself. So if I try and hold on to it and I have to work harder and I have to be more competitive at the same time as I have less energy and, you know, just it's not going to go well. Mm. Whereas if I can find a way to gracefully move into a place of elderhood, which is much more, as I said, around mentoring, that's a completely different outcome. How would someone, um, maybe we're, we're, what you're talking about is great to be able to move forward and maybe we have children and we can do that with our kids, but maybe we haven't had the great models that we would have liked for our, as our own parents. For myself, I've had an amazing role models and relationships with my parents, but for a lot of people I speak to, that hasn't necessarily been the path that they've been on. For someone with kids, say, at a younger stage, say, under 10, and then for those with children, you know, between 10 and that 16-year-old mark, what's some advice that you can maybe share of things that they could do with their children just to start to close the gap and really increase their connection without trying to suppress their little ones or big ones yeah. from growing? Yeah, I don't... So, first of all, I don't think people try to suppress right. necessarily. I, I, and, I, and I think because I've been involved a lot with sort of parenting discussions and, you know, I don't actually want to be a, a parenting expert. No. <laughs> I'm more interested in being a rights of passage expert. But um, we do find, and I've really come to the conclusion that the, 
for a person to be the best parent they can, a big part of it is actually to be empowered themselves and in the most healthy place that they can be. Mm. So before we talk about what people can specifically do with their children, it, I think it's important for any adult to go, okay, you know, what step am I on in this staircase? And, and, and a good way of knowing if it's time to step up to the next place is if you feel some agitation or frustration around what you're doing. Mm. You know, if you know there are things you, you want to be doing differently, all of those are signs that it's worth thinking about, okay, you know, where do I want to move to? What's yeah. my next place? And also, what do I want to let go of? What, what doesn't serve me anymore? And, and the more parents and adults can do that, the better it is for themselves and also for their children. Mm. Uh, but then in terms of more specifically what parents can do with children, um, I think that in many ways parenting's gone a little bit mad and, and, and there's not a lot of common sense information out there. Mm. So there's a, there are a few things that we say is really great to do with your children, no matter what age they are. And the first is spend one-on-one -on -one time with them. So find something that you both enjoy doing, turn off your mobile phone and do it. And it could be walking the dog, it could be having a cup of hot chocolate before you go to bed, could be going to the movies, it could be surfing, music, um, camping, uh, road time. trips, anything, anything, anything. But it, the key is you've got to both enjoy it mm -hmm. and you try and do it without other um, distractions and one-on-one. -on -one. It's just having that time. And some people will find something they can do every day or others might go, look, I can't do it every day, I can do it once a week, mm -hmm. once a month, whatever it is. But so that both of you know that's your sacred time together. That's that's hugely important thing to do. And then just seeing what conversations come up and what happens. Um, the next thing I say is that um, at some stage, your children are going to muck up. At some stage, they're going to do things that are not okay, that are bad, that are wrong, like we all did. And, and it's so important when they do that, that we don't shame them, that we're, we are soft on the person but hard on the behavior so it's Can like you, i'd love you to elaborate on that because i think this is brilliant it's so important um so you know if they break something or or if they're if they lie or if they're um disorganized it's like hey i love you and you know i love you and i'll even give you a cuddle now <laughs> but you know what happened is not okay yeah so let's talk about it and you know is there any reason why it happened and what are we going to do about it and how can we work through this together and you know is there anything else going on because we also know that often um, bad behavior is in fact a sign that something else is going on so I always say that those uh, moments which are actually great learning opportunities are something if we can just as parents take a breath and before we lose our temper ourselves, and yeah, you know, it's easy to say it, but being a parent, I know it's a lot harder to do it. You go, okay, you know, how could we do this differently and actually see what we can all learn from it? Mm. And that applies to any relationship, really. Yeah. But sometimes we do, we overreact in yeah. the moment and then we shame the person for the behavior and then they take that on board often as that it's about them Correct. as a person. If all of this relates to any relationship. If you want to have a good relationship with anyone, you need to spend one-on-one -on -one time with yeah. them. That's just you and them. Mm. Um, and, and the third thing that we say is great for parents to do is to share stories with your children about when you were their age, about your parents, about, you know, their history, basically. Mm. You know, the use of stories has been 
around for so long and we're in danger of learning of sorry we're in danger of losing that because the the children are filling in that time with devices yeah so when we go away on holidays when i was a kid we would sit in the back of the car mum and dad would tell us all sorts of stories now you'll often see kids in the back of the car with the ipad so making time and finding places to tell stories is hugely valuable for children and for building relationships i love that Something you speak a lot about, and I think if we look at society as a whole, there's a lot of people that are filling voids with things because they're not necessarily fulfilled in their life or they haven't found something that they love to do and not putting time into that. Can you talk into sacred time and profane time? Because I think this, again, is something that when I start to understand and I looked at my day and my week, I could see why I had a feeling of frustration a lot of the time. Yeah. Sure. So I'm con I'm continually reading and exploring rites of passage and looking at different authors around all of this. And one of the things I've been looking at a lot lately is this idea that there are two types, at least two types of time. So commonly we think of time as one unit that we can wear on our wrist and it tells us the minutes, the hours, the days, the weeks, and time just passes along. But the uh, there's the indigenous communities believe that there's two sorts of time. And one is the what they call profane time, which is when you're just doing the ordinary everyday things like dealing with your emails, cleaning the house, doing the shopping, cooking, washing, driving people around, working, all of that. Um, and and that's, that's okay, but that's just the everyday profane time. And then there is that sacred, special time when you, you, know, you go on holidays together or um, you maybe go out for dinner with someone who you love or it can be done, it can be walking on the, on the beach, or it can be, uh, for some people it's meditation, for some people it's their surfing, for some people it's their music. Um, making love can be sacred time. There's you know, lots of different ways that it can happen, but we need both. Mm. And um, there's a lot of people in my experience who, who, when I talk to them about this, and I say, well, if you looked at your pie chart of how your time is divided up, how much profane time do you have and how much sacred time do you have? And a lot of people, they're very aware they just don't have enough sacred time. Mm -hmm. And what the, there's this theory that in profane time, when we're doing the things that just need to be done, yes, they need to be done, but things kind of s slowly degenerate into profane time in that we don't feel as good and we've got less motivation and we're tired and it becomes mundane and hard to do and it's the sacred time that really regenerates us and so we need this regenerative sacred time so for me on an individual level i work hard yeah and if i can get in the water and have a surf or go to yoga or do some you know for me exercise is definitely a part of my sacred time and if i can get that that regenerates me and i can do all the the work the profane stuff but if i'm just working then i feel myself starting to struggle in my relationship, you know, if we get, if my, uh, you know, if my girlfriend and I, if we get our time one-on-one, -on -one, that's our sacred time, it regenerates it. Yeah. But if it's all just work and kids and everything else, then, you know, it becomes more of a struggle. Um, and so, so there are lots of ways we can find it, but, you know, there's this, we need to recognise that sacred time is, is important. Mm. And there are elements of sacred time, by the way. So in sacred time, um, our feeling of time changes. So it might go really quickly or it might go really slowly. 
and we become our senses become more aware um, and we become a lot more loving in sacred time and we notice the beauty of nature in sacred time nature by the way being a very special place to have sacred time so i'm i'm very interested in this whole idea of how we can bring more sacred time into our lives and do you are you really mindful of deliberately scheduling it through your day your week so that you know that that kind of rock is there and because it does regenerate you so absolutely much? like you know when i do my diary for the week i'll, I'll make a confession here i actually put in the sacred time stuff first yeah. and then i work out where i can do my work most people or a lot of people i know put in their work stuff and if they have time do the sacred stuff and then don't have time yeah and then you you know i see them just you know dragging themselves around so and i think from my observation or i know for me as a parent when i particularly the little ones you don't have a lot of time unless you've got some support around you to to have that sacred time unless you want to get up an hour earlier which sometimes you just you just can't when you don't have that you become you kind of redline in other areas and you're not giving that quality relationship to you know the people around you um how much does that have to play if you think about people in today's world where yeah they're finished the end of the day they're exhausted and then they sit down and watch their show and they'll have a drink just to kind of numb themselves because it's just like oh my gosh that was a big day or a big week often that's kind of the escape route instead of scheduling the boulders would you agree have you observed that oh of course i've observed that i've partaken in that yeah me too <laughs> so but but yes they, they there's this thing around uh, the if we don't get the sacred time and we need it then people will look for it in artificial ways right. that don't serve mm. So, you know, I can go out and spend $30 and buy a bottle of spirits. Isn't it extraordinary? I can actually drink spirit, which is drinking spirits, a sacred thing. I can drink some sacred spirit and, you know, I might think I feel good, but the next day I feel terrible. Yeah. Um, and there are all sorts of ways that because we're not consciously creating sacred time, but because it's needed, people are doing it in artificial ways and, and it becomes more and more unhealthy and then there's the risk that it leads to addictions and health problems and everything like that. And, and you know, rites of passage, a rite of passage is a sacred time. It's a time when you take time out from your everyday life and go into a place, a sacred place, to actually let go of the past stage and move into the next stage. Mm. And that's why every Indigenous community, when boys reach puberty, they would create a, a rite of passage. And when girls started to bleed, they would go, okay, we need to create some sacred time so that this girl knows that she's moving into the place of being a young woman, mm. that she'll be seen as a young woman, that she'll be treated as a young woman, and that she'll feel a young woman. Whereas so often I find working with so many teenagers, they're stuck in between. Mm. And they'll often say to me, um, people expect us to act as adults but treat us like children right interesting yeah yeah and so you've got facilitators all around the world running your programs um with helping kids go through them as well as adults you've got leadership programs what's your vision for the future what would you love to see well i want to see rites of passage mainstream in the same way as yoga is mainstream and meditation has mindfulness has quite quickly become mainstream, I absolutely want to see that our 
community acknowledgement of the diff and celebration of the different stages of life of people of all ages, I want that to become mainstream. And yes, we have trained facilitators, trained over a thousand facilitators all around the world now, but what's really important about how we're doing it is they're not actually running our programs. Mm. We're training people in the framework of what a rite of passage is and how you can create that for someone and then encouraging them to create their own program in their own way, in their own communities. And that's having a fantastic impact and lots of great, exciting programs springing up everywhere. And, and, and even better, there are programs happening now that we don't even know about. That's what I really love. That's amazing. And you're really, with your work, you're really empowering people. So yes, they can come in and do one of the programs as an experience, but it's getting the tools to, you know, to be able to take that home and implement into your family or into your company yeah. or whatever it might be. Your school, there's a lot of schools running your programs. There are. So yes, absolutely. You know, someone in their, in their family might go, okay, my son or my daughter, they're ready. They're ready to go to the next stage. Yeah. How can we create something to help them to do that? And at work, you know, when people are ready to move up, take on more responsibility, go to the next stage, we can just say, right, tomorrow you're this. Or we can actually do something really special. And, and the important thing about it is that the whole community acknowledges it. Yeah. So if we come back to the work thing, if someone's moving up and the whole, you know, as many people in their area and their company know that they're moving up and the roles, then that person will get the support and, and it's much more likely to be a successful transition. Um, we work with uh, a number of sporting clubs. Uh, we work with city councils setting up programs for youth at risk. Mm. Uh, we train a lot of teachers and people from schools who are going, you know, look, there's a significant shift from grade six to um, high school. Right. And then there's a shift when they go through puberty and then there's a shift when they leave school. So I'm very passionate about um, running leadership trainings and we, we have a, a purpose-built venue up here in Byron Bay and we have people come from around Australia and from around the world and we do a three-day um, rights of passage framework uh, leadership training. And from next year, from 2020, we're going to be running a nine to 12-month mastery of transformational facilitation. So really teaching people how they can, you know, genuinely create programs and transformational events uh, for people in all sorts of different areas. Incredible. I love that. And I, I just see the ripple effect of what you're doing, just particularly whether it's schools, a family unit, a company. Yeah. Um, I know you're even going to Bhutan. Bhutan I'm going to Bhutan on the weekend. I'm heading off to Bhutan. So Bhutan, which has been doing, you know, they've got the Gross National Happiness Centre and they say that one of the reasons they've been able to maintain their culture is because they've never been invaded. And then 10 years ago, they got the internet and now for the first time, they're having problems with, you know, youth suicide and drugs and all these things. It's like, oh, no, really? Really? So cut a long story short, we were there and now I'm going back next week and we're going to run a leadership training for the Gross National Happiness Centre and, and for people from the various services and school principals in Bhutan and do a couple of sort of short pilots and potentially from... Uh, next year we'll start rolling out programs in schools across the country. Incredible. Exciting. It is yeah. exciting. Well, we are just, we love you as in our family. I love the work that you're doing. You have an incredible team around you. And I just feel like so many more people need to know and understand what it is that you're doing. It's implement, it's impacted our family so much. And I think as a mum of, 
you know, three kids that will be hitting those teenage years in the years to come. Like I want to arm myself with as many things that I can to feel like I'm doing a good job, but also embracing my own, you know, journey as, as I age and become wiser and, and older as well. Um, I would love just to, in, in closing, um, to learn a few more things about you if I can. What is maybe one book that has really impacted you either around this work or just in life in general that you just couldn't recommend highly enough? Well, the book, I, I assume it's still on the shelves, but it's probably like nearly 30 years ago, I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People yes. by Stephen Covey. Yeah. Simple book which talks about, you know, air, identify some key areas in your life for me, family, relationship, health, um, probably low down the list was personal wealth, but, you know, that was in there. And then work out, you know, where you want to be in those areas in 12 months' time and then each week do something in each of those areas. And and for many years I wrote a diary every Sunday night of everything I was going to do in each of those areas, putting in my sacred time places first. So that was a very influential book for me. Uh, and another one which I'm reading at the moment is The Archetype, of initiation by Robert Moore. It's it's actually quite complex, but I'm really enjoying it. Excellent, thank you. Where is one place either on your bucket list that you've been to or you can't wait to get to that is just amazing? Well, I'm very interested to go to Mongolia. I, I wanna go on the steps of Mongolia and see the grass plains and ride the horses. And, um, you know, I read a lot about Genghis Khan and the Mongols and that whole period that was, you know, so full on, uh, but that's a, a sort of an ancient uh, part of the world that I'm very keen to go to. Amazing. Also, what's a what's a random or cool little skill um, that you have that maybe not many people know about that is kind of awesome? Uh, well, I'm a, yeah to be <laughs> I'm a closet saxophone player. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love my saxophone, and I and I get very excited to go home and play. And that's some sacred time there for you. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. I like it. Another important question: Vegemite or peanut butter? Uh, either. I like really? them both. Do you have a favourite? No, I like them both. Okay. The right time. It'll be some nights. I go. I need some Vegemite. <laughs> Other times, I go. I just want peanut butter. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what is maybe, particularly if we've got a lot of parents listening in, what's maybe a, a moment that you look back on and you can laugh now, but it was kind of like an epic parent fail moment where you're just like, oh. Well, I, I, can't, I still can't laugh about it, I okay. have to say. Right. But my, um, when my son turned 10 years, 10 years of age, and um, he got up about 5 o'clock in the morning, you know, coming in and wanting to get his presents and things, and I was like, oh, it just it's a bit early and so I sort of sent him back to bed or whatever and and he was like devastated by that and um, you know I, I consider that that was a fail that I really learned from which mm. is that the sometimes the um, you know their passion and their needs that you just have to really I have to really put my own uh, thoughts feelings tiredness or not aside yeah um, and I yeah I learned a lot from that moment mm. It's interesting. They're enthusiastic little things, aren't they? They are. They are. Yeah. Awesome. One last thing. Is there anyone that you and we're really excited to hear from people that are helping others live their best life? Yeah. Is there someone that you feel we should interview? Someone that you've got, you know, a lot of inspiration from in your life that we should connect with? Oh, well, yes. There's a number of people, but there's a woman who I 
love Taria Hanover. Okay. Who just turned 70 years of age. Wow. And she started an organization called The Path of Love. And a fascinating woman, has had an incredible journey. And um, be, you know, one of these beautiful 70-year-olds. Mm. And I love older women like that. Um, who even at 70, you know, has maintained her, not even at 70, at 70, has maintained her poise and her beauty and her intellect and her wit uh, and, and her vibrancy. So I'll be very happy to put you in contact with her. Amazing. Thank you. Well, we're super grateful for your time today. What you're doing for so many people around the world is just incredibly inspiring. And I think that sometimes we can be hard on ourselves or where we are at in life and just realising that there are those steps that we can go through and move through. Um, it's a good thing. But I, I would so love to hear from people listening today what they want to start scheduling for their sacred time because I think if that was just the one thing that people started to do, it affects everything, you yeah. know, our relationships, our children, you know, how fulfilled we are in life as well. So to learn more about Anna, we've got The Making of Men, your website, the rightsofpassage.org. Rights of Passage Institute. Institute. Yeah, it's right spelled R-I-T-E-S. We'll pop the link in uh, the details below as well. Great. And just thank you again. We're super grateful for you being on. My pleasure. Thank you. I love that interview and so happy that we we're able to share that insight of Anna with you. Um, I know as a, a mama to two boys, his book, The Making of Men, has been really profound, um, understanding the different phases that boys go through. And whether you have boys or not, I think understanding men in general, it's definitely a helpful one. Um, and, you know, I know we'll continue to have Anna sharing more wisdom with us. Uh, on future podcasts but I'd love to hear from you um, what are some of the things that you've recognized listening to today's episode uh, things that you can start scheduling more sacred time into your life whether it is uh, to work towards a particular goal that you might have whether it's to slow down and just enjoy life or have magic moments with your family whatever that might be firstly you know, there's no point in just listening to things without actually applying. So I'd love that you actually schedule things, but we'd love your feedback as well. Um, and for those of you that have enjoyed this message, the link to Anna's website and how to purchase his book is in our show notes. And also we've put together a special uh, Raising Empowered Families Challenge, a five-day challenge to really help dive into what you can be doing to raise a more empowered, connected, and conscious family, something that we are really passionate about so if you're interested to learn more on that you can also check out raisingempoweredfamilieschallenge.com and if there's someone that was on your mind after listening to today's episode why not be a great friend and pass it on and share the love anything that you can do to help someone else's life to be more empowered is a good thing until next time guys take care and we'll speak to you real soon